Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. We're continuing this morning to take a look at an ever more relevant study into the Word of God. Someone is once credited as saying that history repeats itself. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case. The church was born in persecution and grew through it. The church is unusual in that regard because no matter what the, the worldly authorities of the day, the military authorities, the economic authorities, the cultural authorities, Christianity started out by not having a linguistic boundary, by not having a, a geographical boundary. It had no cultural boundaries. It was able to spread and spread rapidly through a world that was hostile to it. It was a foreign invader in their mind just as we are seen by the scriptures as being enemy agents into a hostile world. Unfortunately, in the cyclical nature that is human behavior, it's coming back around. No more than 10 years ago, to be Christian and to be American were almost synonymous. That's not to say that we didn't welcome in other religions to these shores or into, into our nation, but for the most part... Our nation was Christian. And while as Baptists we hold a certain regard for not wanting politics to control the pulpit, nor the pulpit to control the politics, nevertheless, we also recognize that there should be a friendly relationship between the two, that we should not be hostile to fellow believers. Love one another as I have loved you. Unfortunately, we have not done a very good job at that. When Christians form a firing squad, we do so in a circle. For the most part, our churches these days, uh, in this community, in this county, in this state, in this nation, we're not trying to seek that which was lost. We're trying to rip members from other churches. We're not growing the kingdom. We're building a fortress around ourselves. Trying to offer fellow believers a hamburger in their way. And worse, to recast our religion so that it is remade in our image. That the God we worship is made in our image. Not that we are being conformed to His. That's why biblical literacy is vital. That's why the study of God's Word is so important. It is often misquoted time and time again that for who much is given, much is also required. But the people that quote that often use it as a, a means to extract money from other people. In God's word where that is actually spoken, it is not about money. It is not actually about finances. It is about the truth of God. For whom truth has been given, truth is also required. It is an investment that God has made in you. Now, for those of you that attend regularly on our Sunday nights, we talk about the extreme and extravagant lengths God went to to put a copy of his word into your hands. As Baptists, we believe wholeheartedly, not in... 
Well, okay, we do use screens, I'll admit that. But we believe that every believer should have access to their own copy of God's Word. So that as Acts 17.11 states that we become more noble in spirit, in spirit, excuse me, because even though we accept the willingness of the preaching, we nevertheless search the Scriptures daily for ourselves. To whom much is given, much is required. God has invested His truth in you. God has invested your daily allowance of, give us this day our daily bread. Your prayers, your presence, your service, and your giftedness, all of that God has willingly invested into you. What are you doing with it? Peter right now is challenging us on how to make a difference in a world that is hostile to Christianity. And not just how to survive in it, but thrive. Remember, these are 12 idiots Peter opened his mouth to take out one foot and put the other one in. Thomas barely believed Christ as risen Lord when he was standing right in front of him with holes in his hands. Most of them were fishermen. I caught a fish this big. I mean, these were not the most intelligent people in the world. These were not the most truthful people in the world. They had issues. Paul was a murderer, a terrorist. Yet these people, fallen, fickle, finite, and frustrating as they were, were nevertheless taken under the arms of the greatest teacher who would ever live, empowered with the Holy Spirit of God, His own presence dwelling, living, transforming them from the inside. And through that power, combination of Spirit and the Word, the enemy no longer had the grip he had so enjoyed on our planet. He's trying to reassert that grip now. In my view, it's because he knows his time is at hand. There are several lessons that we need to learn from the apostles living in just such a time as this. And one of them, and I want you to write this down because it does not come in the volumes of Peter, but nevertheless it comes to us through James. Not rebuking the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more so as you see the day what? approaching. If you are convinced that we are in a time where we can expect our Savior's return, and I'm not preaching apocalypse right now. I'm just saying that we're closer to the day now than we have ever been. Tomorrow we will be even closer. But as we see the day approaching, the church should meet not less often but more. And that is God's Word. That every time that we can come to be discipled, every time that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, every time that we can have the opportunity to be conformed into His image, either by the combination of the Spirit of the, and the Word, or the Spirit, the Word, and service to our fellow man and our fellow believers, we need to do it. Every opportunity that we have for fellowship, every opportunity that we, that we have to witness, every opportunity that we have to do missions work, the ministry of Christ to the lost, and the ministry of Christ to the suffering. Every time we have the availability, we need to be there to make that kind of difference as we have been commanded to in Scripture. If you would go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the first letter of St. Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. When you get there in your copy, say amen. Just to recap what we covered the last time. Here are his instructions. Number one, realize that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, not a citizen of earth. 
Where does your citizenship lie? Where do, are your treasures stored? For where your treasures are, there, there your heart shall be. Also, are you relying on the provision of earth or the provision of God in heaven? Hold your citizenship in heaven. Number two, understand, and you are promised that, the world will persecute the people. You are the enemy in their eye. You are countercultural from the beginning. Jesus himself said, you have heard it said to hate your enemies, yet I tell you to love your enemies. We are a sharp divide through the power of the word of God in tandem with the Holy Spirit of God from what the world thinks is right. And when that light shines in the darkness, the darkness rejects it. In the Christmas story, according to John, that's precisely what happened when Christ came the first time. Uh, the creator came, the word became flesh and dwelled among it, yet his own received him not. will also not receive you, but you are called to shine a light in there to be the ambassadors of peace to a fallen world. Those who are proclaiming Christ as if God himself was making his proclamation through you. Thirdly, we talked about the persecution refining the faith because just as we are to offer our lives as a living sacrifice before him, undergoing the same persecution that he did means that your faith will be seen as gold refined in the fire by both him and by the people looking at you because in your conduct, your conversation, and in your character, write this down, through your conduct, conversation, and character, if you are faithful to the calling to which you have been called, you will shine that light. You will make a difference in the kingdom of God. And through your example, your kindness, and your agape love, others will come to Christ. Last week, we talked about our position in Christ being secure. Peter was commenting on what Jesus himself said, that all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And if anyone comes unto me, I will in no way, what? Cast out. Once you are in the kingdom, you're in the kingdom. Your possession and your position in heaven is secure. So let's begin our scripture reading for this, this morning. First Peter, starting with uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Just as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, in other words, Christian, don't be influenced by the darkness. Church, do not be influenced by society. Do not let that which is outside of the church into the church. When did it become okay for a people who do not believe in God to tell us how to worship? When did it become okay for people outside of the church to lecture the church on what it should be preaching? Now, I'm not talking about music style here. I'm talking about the gospel message. Do not add nor subtract. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, has nothing to do with your conversation. It has everything to do with your actions. For if you are an ambassador of Christ, if you take upon yourself the name of Christian, which literally means Christ-like, you go in his name. And when you go in his name, when you go supposedly as a public reflection of his love before others, and you don't carry out your lifestyle the way that he's prescribed, be holy as I am holy, 
then you make his name vain, useless, meaningless. Be holy because I am holy, because you are a reflection of him. We become like that which we worship. Write that down. We become like that which we worship. So how do we define holiness? That's one of the markers we have to look at really quickly because a lot of people have an awfully funny understanding of what constitutes holiness. And if you, if you are a partaker in new media, in entertainment, the definition of God himself, the concept is under attack as well. So let's take a look at how holiness is defined in the Bible. Number one, holiness means being whole as in needing for nothing. Somewhere out there was a very heretical comment that God had to become flesh to dwell among us so he would know what being human is like. That would presuppose that God needed something and that he did not understand that which he himself had created. Holiness means that God lacks nothing, that he needs nothing. We don't have to present ourselves as a sacrifice of praise because he requires it, he needs it, he is somehow nourished by it. We do it for us to be conformed to his image, not to work to become saved, but to work because we what? We have been saved. We live a life of thanksgiving and praise. But God himself in his holiness needs for nothing. He operates beyond space and time. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He knows all, is around all, and is present here. Therefore, two or more are gathered in my name there. I am also in the midst of them. He is here. He possesses absolute authority. This world is in rebellion against him. But nevertheless, who is the king of this world? Not who claims to be, but who actually is. Who is sovereign will, whose sovereign might dictates where the, the oceans stop and where the winds blow. Who commands life to be given and souls to be imparted unto children? Who is the author and perfecter of our faith? God and God alone. He possesses absolute authority. He is also very faithful to all of his promises. We alone serve the God that delights in making and keeping promises to his children without exception. If God says he will do it, then he will do it. He is always present. He is always knowing of all, including every stray thought that occurs to you. One of the things that we're going to talk about later on is the spiritual gift of self-control, and that includes controlling the thought patterns, controlling, taking control of your emotional state, living in his peace and his joy, which is a, human, is a Christian discipline. And above all, it's last on this list, but it's primary in importance, God is all-loving. Our all-wise and loving Heavenly Father, for it is by his grace that the law was overcome. Not destroyed, but fulfilled. We had a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Each and every one of us is a beneficiary of a loving grace which superseded our indebtedness, which overcame our rebellion, which satisfied the wrath of the law. For by grace have you been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Your salvation is given to you as a gift 
of God's divine love for you for no other reason. You couldn't earn it for no other reason than the fact that you are his child. He is faithful. He is also ethical. Everything that he does, every decision that he makes, has its grounding in his holiness. So how are we supposed to be holy? Well, simply put, it's by displaying his characteristics in our lives. Be not conformed to the way of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit, a three in one, just as he is. Body, soul, and Holy Spirit that we are able to reflect his image. And we reflect his image by faithfulness in keeping our promises and being who we say that we're going to be and doing what we say we're going to do. Being ethical in all of our dealings, just as he is, learning from God's word, putting the truth that we absorb from it into practice, being graceful to others as we face them in conflict, even those that we have a hard time with, those that make us angry, those that really make us not want to be Christian for all of a few seconds. Nevertheless, we are called to be gracious. We are called to be forgiving. But remember, we are not called to be punching bags. Forgiveness requires repentance. Forgiveness is predicated upon repentance. For unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Forgiveness requires repentance. That's part of what we haven't preached that we should have been preaching all along. It's part of the reason that many of the people that we have, it's an old church gag, and unfortunately it's a very relevant Baptist one. And I'm very fortunate that the deacons that I have in this church live up to that title of servant. Because as the old joke goes, a person was selling his car once on credit to a gentleman who proclaimed that he was an elder at the local Christian church. And being a kind-hearted gentleman, he shook his hand on it, said, okay, I'll take that payment on a, on a promise. Had breakfast with his wife. Him being a good Baptist, he looked at his wife for a second, and he said, honey, what is an elder in a Christian church, Church of Christ? She looked at him and said, well, I figure it's Probably the same thing as a, a deacon in a Baptist church. And all of a sudden he started hitting on the table and cursing up a storm. And she asked him, what's wrong? He said, I just lost my car. Part of the reason that we've had the unfortunate reputation is that we have proclaimed forgiveness but have not talked about repentance. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Forgiveness is predicated by repentance. And just as we are called to forgive, we're also called to be just. Not withholding grace, but being wise. Being careful and being loving. Once grace is offered, it is to be offered wholeheartedly. And last but not least, it requires peace in troublesome times. The world wants to rid you of two things. It cannot rid you of your salvation. It can try to put a dampener, put a silencer on your peace and your joy, which, is, which are yours by right through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The peace of mind which passes all understanding and the joy which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God, both of which are yours by right. The promises of God ready for you to take advantage of at any time. But the world wants us to see the forest, for, excuse me, the world wants us to see the trees for the forest. It wants us to stare at the problem for so long that we lose focus on him who is the solution. 
And by staring at the problem, by fearing earthly consequences, by fearing earthly authorities and powers, we forget about the God who is above all of them, who has overcome it already, who has planned things out so that you don't have to have that rob you of your joy, which is yours by right. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. If the enemy can rip us of our joy, he can cause us to become paralyzed for the kingdom of God. Guard your joy. Guard your sense of peace. Always live in an awareness of the presence of God in your life. For without that awareness of his presence, we will forget that he's there, at least functionally. And we will start focusing on the problems of this world instead of he who is the solution who has already purchased the victory for you. At a very dear cost, I might add. Be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to make a difference in outreach? You want to make a difference in our neighbors? You want to make a difference in your family members who you worry about whether or whether or not they actually have a relationship with Christ? Reflect Christ to them. Practical evangelism simply is we don't hit them over the head with the Bible and shove holiness down their throat. We love them just as Christ loves them. We exhibit that same, we model that same agape love before them as Jesus has for us. For they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Part of the reason I believe that many of us do not, or rather that we struggle with studying God's word, is because, again, for, them who, for those who much is given, much is also required. God's word contains truth, but if you don't live up to that truth, if you don't put it into practice, if you don't reinvest what God has invested with you, you're not going to get anything more. If you want to increase your spiritual life, you want to increase your knowledge of the word of God and how to apply it, write this down. In your own prayer time, ask God to make the truths that you do understand pronounced in your life. God, I don't know what this says. I don't know what it means. Holy Father, I'm not sure what I just passed over my eyes. For those of us still going through the Bible in a year here, we're into the books of the kings and we're still trying to scratch our head about some of the stuff from the Old Testament. God, what does this mean? I don't know what this means. I'm reading it twice and I'm struggling with it. But please, Lord, the truth that I do understand I will put into practice the truths that I do understand I will put under practice because that's what you have commanded me to do. And as I try to strengthen that part, as I try to grow in the giftedness you've allowed me to have, please allow me to taste more into the word of God. Unveil your truth as I make this relevant to my, unveil your truth as I seek to be obedient. And as God sees that he can trust you with the truth that he has revealed to you, he will invest more into you. You want to increase your spiritual life, you want to increase your understanding of God's word, let it be by first putting that word into practice. And the more that you faithfully put his word into practice, the more he will continue to invest. Would you put money into Apple if it lose money? Would you add anything to a bank account if the bank is failing? If you want to be a source of godly wisdom and reflect 
God's love to others. Start by being obedient to what you understand. And commit yourself to letting Him invest more into you. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Continuing in our reading. Since you call on a Father who judges each person impartially, live out your time as foreigners, or more literally as pilgrims here, in reverent fear. For you know that it was with perishable things, it was not with perishable things, excuse me, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times. What? For your sake, you are personally on Christ's mind the day that he carried the cross to Calvary. He had the power to call down from heaven legions of angels for his defense. And he allowed himself to be sacrificed because he was investing his love in you. This should cause us to have a threefold reaction. Number one, thanksgiving. Number two, the compulsion, the springboarding, the energy to do the work of ministry to bring others to him before it is everlastingly too late. And number three, to approach his throne in the majesty and the glory that it requires of us. He is our Father. He is, he has adopted us into sonship. You are the princes and princesses of this very universe, but our God is still a king. Our heavenly Father is still holy. He is still sovereign. He is still above all. So while we don't have to be afraid of him in that sense, we should treat him with reverence, with dignity, with respect. The word that is used from the Greek text is phobos. From Thayer's lexicon, we read that it means to have reverence and respect for authority, rank, and dignity. And if God has all authority, then he deserves all respect. Do we handle it with that? Your Bible is a direct message, a direct written revelation of God to you, His child. How do you treat it? Your church is a gift. These walls were literally built by people remortgaging their homes and coming in a work parties to lay cinder block. How do we treat it? Is it the gift that we know it to be? Or is it simply a place that we come to when we feel like it? How do we treat the family of God? How do we treat the blessings of God? How do we treat God himself? As Christ loved his Father, we should enter his presence with unwavering respect, which is inspired by awe. This is one of those lists that you might want to take out your cell phones for and take a picture of rather than trying to write the whole thing down. But we are to enter his press, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts, enter his courts with praise, dedicated service through humility. Not to work to shine a light on myself, but to shine a light on God, to point to him. Our love for God, our fear for God, our, our sense of majesty in him should be characterized by a sacrificial love. Don't Try to have this relationship with your church, with his bride, as that I want to get what I want to get from the place 
that I want to go. That's not how church works. That's not how God works. Our lives are characterized by the word of God as a sacrifice of praise, not as the difference between a McDonald's, a Wendy's, and a Burger King. Do I want charboiled, hard fried, or pan fried? That's not church. Church is family. Church is community. Church is a gift of God. It is the bride of Christ. And how dare any of us treat it with contempt? How dare any of us treat it as that thing that we can only go to when we feel like it? You are part of the bride of Christ. Treat her with dignity. Treat her with respect. Because she is a gift of God to you. We don't call each other brother such and such and sister so and so because of an old quaint tradition. It's because we love each other as family. The word love one another as I have loved you, that word is agape. That is a self-sacrificing, genuine, unconditional love. And yet we don't usually treat each other with that. We usually teach, treat each other with phileo. With that kind sort of approximation love, that brotherly, that friendship love, that love that has conditions, that love built out of proximity, not the love of God that we are called to reflect. Love one another as I have loved you is not just a quaint saying, it is a reality and it is a challenge. Our fear for God is characterized by that agape love. We display it also by having an obedient life, letting others see Christ in you. By reflecting Him, we draw others to Him. We also need to put on display and live in a faith that is refined through these troublesome times, refined by His limitless power. Not in our own wisdom, not lift out by our own strength, not conforming to our own will or desires, but by allowing ourselves obediently to be transformed by His. Ultimately, the enemy of a Christian life is pride, self-worship, idolatry. In the old days, an idol was sculpted by a human being trying to make God in his image, not the other way around. Worshiping the self, in other words, instead of worshiping God. Denying the worth of God, which is what worship really is. Worship, worth-ship, that's how that word came to being. When we come in and we sing the songs and we give in the offering plate, when we go outside these walls, when we put the snack bags together, when we go help with Christ's kitchen, when we take food out there, all the things that we do when we reach out in this community and we meet the needs of those of our neighbors who are wandering aimlessly within the very shadow of our walls, we do so not trying to bring glory to ourselves but to glorify Him. But the Christian who is not a Christian is one that denies the worth of God who overvalues themselves, who is thankless in their approach to God, and who offers love with conditions, in other words, love for a price. Verse 21. Through him, meaning Jesus, you believe in God, whom raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Not every love is love. Not every love is love. Storge, love of family, that's conditional. Phileo, the love of friendship, that's conditional. Agape, the sacrifice of the self. The love of God is unconditional. Love each other deeply. 
and from the heart. Put that love of God on display. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And we've already covered that, to meet the challenge of his truth so that he will indeed invest more into us. For all people like grass, all the glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So what are we doing with the word that has been revealed to us? The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is the revelation of God himself through the lived experiences of our Savior, which is called to challenge us, which is called to define sin for us, so that with willing hearts we may forsake it and pick up the righteousness and the holiness that is of God to put his love on display. I believe our challenge in this passage is to ask God ultimately to use his word to shine a, to put a mirror up to our own hearts. Where have we failed? Where have we not loved our neighbor as ourselves? Where have we not loved the God who we are commanded to love above all things? So that when we see ourselves truthfully, we can allow God to cleanse us. We can allow him to wipe the mirror that we are called to be so that others will see Christ in us. For if we, for, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Part of the reason that we have such separation in our churches now is because the truth of God itself is being challenged because it is challenging. Those that try to read under the text, those that try to read around the text, those that try to insert in or take away from, the fact of the matter is, obedience is hard. And the world wants us to be anything but obedient. It wants us to proclaim unrighteousness. It wants to leave certain things out and add things onto. But in doing so, we mar the image of God that we are called to project. If you want to increase your love, if you want to increase your effectiveness, if you want to have a true and fervent spiritual life, start with asking God to make you more faithful to the truth that is already revealed for you. And through that faithfulness, you will see him also, I believe, pour more of the truth, more of himself into who we are. And through that growth, we will see others come to know him before it is everlastingly too late. And all God's people said, now is the time that we gather around his table in rededication as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. This is not the table of Jason Robbins. This is not the table of Highland Baptist Church. This is God's table. The Lord of it is Jesus Christ and through his scripture he calls to it all who have earnestly repented of their sins, all who are trusting in him for salvation, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ are welcome here. Let's bow our hearts together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, we ask first that you would examine our hearts as we raise them to you, that you would cleanse us of the sins that have harbored themselves in ourselves, into our hearts, that you would relieve us 
of the old person that we seek to distance ourselves from. Lord, for the times that we have not loved you above all else, for the times that we have not loved our brothers and sisters as you have commanded us to, for the times when we have not been an obedient church, when we have not hearkened to your will, where we have broken your law, where we have not heard the cry of the needy, and we have not met the needs of the lost. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us all from all that would separate us from being the church that you have called us to be, the people that you have redeemed us to be. As I dedicate myself to you, as we dedicate ourselves into your hands, as we seek that renewal and revival, forgive us and renew us in accordance with your will. Fill us with your love as we set forth on the journey together to know you, to make you known. In the most holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.